Welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico education in every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Alisa Cooper de Uribe, the 2021 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Join us as leaders talk pedagogy and practice and share lessons they have learned along their journey in uplifting education. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. Today, I begin the process of passing the podcast torch as I sit down with Lorraine Guerrero, the 2022 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. In this episode, you can get to know more about your host for the next season. Lorraine is an English language arts and grads teacher at the New America School, a public charter high school in her hometown of Las Cruces. Drawn to the school's mission to empower immigrants, emerging bilinguals, and academically underserved students, she further removed barriers to graduation by establishing a GRADS, Graduation Reality and Dual Role Skills program for expectant and parenting teens and a child development center for their children on campus. In this episode, Lorin talks about her own journey as a teen parent who pursued education toward having her own classroom and the importance of expanding the traditional narrative of a K-12 to college experience to be more inclusive of diverse life experiences and needs. There's obstacles that come up with students. And as a teacher, I'm aware of it now. And then I, I look back to my classmates from elementary school or my classmates in high school, and I'm wondering what obstacles they had that they were not able to overcome to get that high school diploma or to get that education. And so in working with my students, I see they have to have jobs to help support their families or they do have children and it's hard to find childcare, um, reliable childcare, so that way they can come to school or their vehicles break down or there's one vehicle for a family of seven. And so there's all these different things that come into play that I never really understood until I started teaching here at New America. She also highlights the creative ways in which community partnerships can create opportunities for social, emotional, and physical health of students in our schools. So put your pencils down and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with stories from our 2022 New Mexico Teacher of the Year, Lorraine Guerrero. Welcome, welcome to our 2022 New Mexico Teacher of the Year, Loren Guerrero. It is an honor for me to be able to sit down today and hear a little bit more about Loren's story and some of the things that have really guided her in her teaching journey and what she would like to see in the future of education. So welcome to the podcast, Loren. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me here. One of the things that was so inspiring to me in this process of finding that you were named the 2022 Teacher of the Year for New Mexico was hearing some of your teacher story. And I'm looking forward to hearing you share that with our listeners. So let's get started. Could you share a little bit about how you found your way into the classroom? My first career that I wanted to do was I really wanted to be a dentist. Um, specifically, I wanted to be an orthodontist. I had an orthodontist and I would see him come in and click on my teeth and then the assistant did everything. 
thought, what a great job. I want to do that. I just want to click on some people's teeth and poke around and then walk away. And I, I thought that would be good. Um, I knew going to school to be a doctor, a dentist, it was going to take a while, at least more than four years. And so I was getting ready for that. I was looking towards that. And then when I was 17 years old, I became pregnant. So I was a junior in high school. I was 17 years old and I thought, great. Now my plans have changed. Um, I will probably have to get a job and, and figure out how I'm gonna take care of this baby that I have. Well, my parents told me they would help me with childcare if I went to college. If I didn't go to college, they told me I was going to have to find my own childcare. So my parents, um, that was kind of what pushed me to go to college. I had some really good teachers at the alternative high school that I went to that encouraged me to continue my education as well. With that, I thought, well, I'm, I'm familiar with teaching. I'm familiar with the classroom. My dad had been a, a high school teacher and administrator, and so I was I was comfortable in a classroom setting. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll be a, a teacher. I can do that. I'll have a good schedule to be with my child. And similar to my dad, he would take us to school a lot. And I thought I can just bring my, my child to school with me when he's old enough. And so it was kind of like that family dynamic that kind of drove me to it. As someone who also came into education a little bit later in in my career, so not earlier, but also not necessarily as my first thought in terms of what I would pursue as a career, I enjoy hearing stories about how people come to education when it may have been somewhat of a surprise. But similarly, I know that education was a part of my family culture, and it sounds like it was for yours, too. I know that your father wasn't the only one involved in education. And so could you talk a little bit more about how the culture of education has been a part of your family and how that may have influenced and still influences you as a teacher? Yeah. So, so I, I grew up with my dad um, at the high school. And then I told my mom, mom, I feel so bad that I've never really mentioned you or anything. And my mom has been very, very adamant about us getting our college degrees. Um, and she worked at New Mexico State. She retired from New Mexico State University. So she was there for quite a while. And I, and in seeing her, I get, I can understand how that traditional uh, experience of a college experience, like being 18 and then graduating when you're 22, does not fit everyone. It took my mom almost 22 years to get her college degree. I remember her going to classes. She wanted to be an elementary teacher and she was great. She would volunteer in all our classes. My sister and I, she's at field trips with us. She's in the classroom making crafts with us, grading papers, reading with students, Um, anything that she could do to be in the classroom, she did that. She worked part-time at the university. She started out as a secretary took a class here or there because as a university employee, she got one free class. And so her and my aunts, they took courses together. My aunts went ahead, one of my aunts, she did become an elementary teacher and my mom did not. And it was the struggle for math with my mom. And that's kind of what, she wasn't able to finish her degree in education 
but she did get her high her college degree in individualized studies. So she had a bunch of elementary school classes. She had a bunch of classes that went into being minors for certain things. And so 22 years later, she got her college degree. And in her being at NMSU, in the summers we were there riding our bikes, playing in the in all the buildings. We know all the back rooms. We know all the little entrances at New Mexico State. That is a part of our life as well, as far as education. So I didn't really know any different. I didn't know that there was a choice after high school that you could go straight into a career or start a job. I thought you graduated 12th grade and then the next year you went to college. Like I just thought that's how it was. And that's how my mom was very adamant about it. But she says, you don't have to pick your, your major yet. Uh, but I kind of knew I needed to go into education. For me, I thought that was gonna be the easiest thing. I didn't see myself being an engineer. I didn't see myself being a nurse. I thought I, I can, I'll be a teacher. And that's kind of how it started. That's a really powerful story about your mom taking the time that she needed in order to pursue what was valuable to her with education. And I have to say, I'm fascinated to hear about the math part. I've mm -hmm. been thinking a lot about some of the barriers that people who want to go into education in New Mexico may experience and how their gifts that they have to be really great teachers may be hindered by certain requirements. In this case, it sounds like for your mom, math, where she may have been an extraordinary elementary school teacher, but mm -hmm. there were barriers in place that, that kept her from that. Right. And then I hear your story when we were talking a little bit earlier about my daughter and memorizing multiplication facts in elementary mm -hmm. school right now, and how your mom seemed to take what she had experienced difficulty with, with the math, and she was turning around and putting the multiplication tables in the bathroom and the kitchen for you and yes. creating um, an environment for learning for, for you and your family. And so that's a really powerful story for how she was teaching, even when it was in something that ended up being a challenge for her. Yes. And I don't really, I never had taken the time to look at what her degree plan was or what was that math, that math class that she needed. For myself, I think I in language arts, I only needed two math classes. And I took that one math class, it was like Math 115, basic math. I took it six different times at several different campuses to try to, to pass. And I, and I know why I didn't pass because I didn't learn it in high school. And, you know, people are going to say, are you going to blame the teacher? No, it was my fault. I skipped class. I copied. I did everything that I was not supposed to. And now I'm the product of this is what happens when you try to copy and skip. You don't learn. And now when my students ask me for help, I'm like, I can't help you. Our math teacher at school has specifically asked me not to help the students because we always get it wrong. <laughs> and she says, did Miss Guerrero help you? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, I tried. I thought I knew that one. I thought I knew it. So, <laughs> and there's always room to grow. If there's anything yes. that I've seen since graduating high school and college as well, is that the way that our minds process and analyze new things that we've still got room to grow. So maybe math <laughs> is in, maybe math is in the future. Maybe. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so, and again, thinking about your family, I, I know that from your parents' side that you have education just infused within your family life, but I'm also really delighted to know that especially in this time when we're thinking about growing our own teachers and ensuring that people who believe in education and have these gifts to teach, that we're passing it along to the next generation. And so knowing that one of your sons is studying education to be a teacher, I'm curious to know, do you have a family secret that you can share with our listeners about how the narrative of teaching has become something that your family is continuing to do in this generation? I think it's just it's us being in the classroom when we're young and, and enjoying that environment. I, my son, like I said, I wanted to have a schedule um, that was similar to him. I wanted to make sure that I was able to be there for whatever he needed as far as school activities. My teaching career has allowed me to do that. And so he has been at school with me. He was there little playing on the chairs, playing on the, we have whiteboards now. I played on chalkboards. They have the iPods, everything. They're the kids that are running around the school helping our other colleagues set up their classrooms. And my children are large. My, both of my sons are extremely tall. They're over six feet tall. And so they're in the classrooms with my coworkers, putting up things on the ceilings. They're carrying chairs. They're moving tables and desks. And they're getting paid in snacks. They're getting paid in little toys, those little fidget spinners, you know. So they're making out like bandits when they're little, just having a good time um, in the classroom. And so my son, he wants to be a coach. He wants to work with older children, older students, because he wants to encourage people. And we're really big on mental health. And he wants to grow a team and he wants to be a, a coach that has mentally strong and that he they're mentally healthy. That's so wonderful. And, and it sounds like having the experience that not all children necessarily have if they come to school and they participate in the daily activities and they go home to their lives that oftentimes teachers, children are able to feel a part of the community that is mm -hmm. education and to have the experience of doing the things that teachers do um, outside of what many people see and seeing that that can be gratifying as well. I know that you've, you've mentioned a little bit before, uh, and I'd like to dig a little bit deeper on, on this wisdom that you have around the concept of education going well beyond the traditional K-12 experience, and then you move along uh, to college or higher education afterward. What does that look like for you? Um, you said a little bit about how you decided to go into education based on your life experience in your latter years of high school, but in a, in a broader sense of what you are seeing as a teacher now, what does it look like for education to go beyond traditional K-12? Um, and what advice do you have for our communities here to start shifting that narrative to be more inclusive of these different stages and places of learning? A lot of what I talk about when I when I say going beyond that traditional K through 12, some students, which I was fortunate enough, I went from kindergarten through 12th grade. I was never held back, but I was never bumped forward. And so for me, I feel like that's a traditional path. 
but there's obstacles that come up with students. And as a teacher, I'm aware of it now. And then I, I look back to my classmates from elementary school or my classmates in high school, and I'm wondering what obstacles they had that they were not able to overcome to get that high school diploma or to get that education. And so in working with my students, I see they have to have jobs to help support their families or they do have children and it's hard to find childcare, um, reliable childcare so that way they can come to school or their vehicles break down or there's one vehicle um, for a family of seven. And so there's all these different things that come into play that I never really understood until I started teaching here at New America. We have traditional students that we work with and the time is from nine to 4.30. They're 14 to 18 year olds. They come in, it's a regular high school for them. But also at New America, we have adult students here. And so the adults come in from 5.30 to 8.30 and they're able to get a high school diploma, not a GED. And in talking to them, they have experiences um, that they share why they had to quit school at a young age, why they weren't able to get their high school diploma when they were 18 and now they're 22. Before we had adults here, um, some of the legislation has changed and so we're only able to service adults at 22. But prior to that, we had adults all ages, 25, 35, 45, 55, um, here to get a high school diploma and to listen to their stories, it made me realize it doesn't matter when you get your high school diploma, it just matters that you can get it. That's kind of made me see that that traditional way of learning, it's changing. That's where I, I'm getting this personalized education. It's not individualized like an IEP, it's personalized and so I have students right now who are 19 years old, but they're here every day. They understand that importance. I'm glad they're in my class. I'm glad they're learning. Uh, right now we're preparing for college and career. And so if they can take anything that they learn in my class and apply it to the real world, then I've done my job as a teacher. Um, and so that's kind of where I want others to understand that it's not easy for everybody to just go from K through 12 with no issues. And, and working with the, with the students that I work with, I see it every day. Tell me a little bit about how you arrived at this, um, the school that offers more than just the traditional experience so that our <laughs> students in your area can, can get their high school diploma. So our little school is a charter school here in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We service about 200 students. We're in the downtown area, right in the farmer's market area. And there was another teacher. She and I both worked at Oregon Mountain together. We're good friends. We have similar personalities. We're outgoing. We joke a lot, but you know, our students are important to us. And so she had told me that there was an English position open at night. And this was with the adults. And it would be extra money. Okay, well, as a teacher, I'll take anything uh, extra. And I don't have to plan because it's for ninth and 10th grade or whatever grade I was teaching at the time. So I just took my lessons from Oregon Mountain and I brought them to New America and we did them. And that's kind of how it started out. And this teacher 
he was the one who brought a lot of the staff here to New America. And so when the opportunity became available to teach the daytime students, I took the opportunity to come uh, and move from public school to charter school. I thought I would do well with the students here. I do have a lot of leeway with my curriculum that I choose, um, the activities that we do with the students. Our administration supports that. And just an added bonus is it's just Monday through Thursday. So we do not have students on Friday. We don't come to school on Friday. Once a month, we have professional development. So I have a Friday, which is really nice. <laughs> that might be along the lines of what I'm wondering right now. Um, I work also at a charter school with uh, a different uh, area of focus. We are K through eight instead of high school. The majority of our students are, are on a more traditional K through 12 track in terms of their grading, but, but we're focused on dual language education. But even though our schools are, are different in some of our focuses, it sounds like your school has things that are special that could perhaps apply to any school here in New Mexico. And so I'm wondering, is there, is there something that you feel that other school communities would benefit from that, that you have at your school? Well, one thing that we do here that is different is we still want to encourage our students to participate in community activities. So we have a couple of things that we do. So for Martin Luther King Day, that's a, a holiday and students don't have to go to school that day. But at New America, we have a community learning day. And so our students do have to come to school. They have to uh, come in on that. Monday, but we all go out in the community and help one way or another, kind of spreading the word of Martin Luther King. And so we go to soup kitchens, we go to the Boys and Girls Club to clean or paint or do whatever we need to do. Uh, we help at the homeless shelter. And so the students are out in the community. It's the, one of their most favorite days at school because they're learning, they're helping, my seniors, when they're seniors, they get to write about it in, on their resumes uh, for their uh, scholarship writing. And so they're doing it as freshmen and sophomores. And then as seniors, that's what they're looking forward to, to put on their application. It has led some of our students to get jobs as volunteers at some of these places. And then um, they have been able to get actual jobs as well. And so it's just kind of making that community connection. And so that's one thing that we do at our school that's different than others. I like it, the students love it. And then they're like really into it. And they're like, can we come back? And I'm like, yeah, you can come back whenever you want. Just give them your name. And they're like, no, but we want to come with you. We want to come with the group. <laughs> like, well, you guys could set up a group and come on Fridays when you don't have school. So they're really like gung ho about it. Um, but then like the excitement kind of stop, like goes downhill after the first few weeks, but they enjoy it a lot. And I think it speaks to how the idea and the experience of community is so important to them that not only do they enjoy becoming more connected with the community, perhaps seeing that it does require time and effort to maintain that sort of momentum, but they yeah. like to do it within their own school community with their peers. And that's yes. really special. That's something that definitely we continue to take away um, as something as an inspiration for our, our school con to continue to do. Yes. Um, and I know that within your school community as well, and your knowledge of the community that, that you are serving as a teacher, 
um, that that has informed your your vision for your school specifically for students who are young parents. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more too about how you yourself really just started dreaming big for that specific need in your school community for young, young parents to continue their education. In 2018, I was able to uh, work with my administration on our New Mexico DASH plan. And it was, a, it was some sort of documentation. I don't remember what it was. All I remember is that we needed to improve our graduation rate. And I said, okay, so what does that look like? Because okay, again, I'm not strong in numbers. Uh, we need to improve our graduation rate by 10%. Okay, so how many people is that? Like, tell me, I don't know. Probably like two, three, maybe five students. And I'm like, okay, I know where those students are. Those are our teen parents. Um, and they're not coming back. The teen parents, they're having their babies and they're not coming back to school. Why are these students not coming back to school? So in asking and talking, it's the childcare. It's them having reliable childcare. And while a lot of families do depend on their relatives, their aunts, their grandmas, their uncles, that's not, a, that's not reliable childcare because it's babysitting. And so I, in being a teen parent myself, I had access to a childcare center at my high school. It's through the grads program, New Mexico grads. And so I know this program's still around. I had talked to the teachers at Oñate. I knew the teachers at Las Cruces High School. In Hatch, when I started in Hatch, they had just started their grads program there. So I was excited about it because it's still around. Another teacher that I had that I worked with here at New America, her mom was the director at the child care center at San Andres, which is now Rio Grande Prep. But she was the director there when I was there, when I took my son to the child care center. And I'm like, I don't know how our paths cross, but her daughter was my student teacher. Now she's my colleague. And so this woman is still very relevant in my life. We talked about it. My colleague talked to her mom. She got us some names, some phone numbers, and we kind of went from there and talked to our admin. Can we put a childcare center in our school? Yeah, sure, go ahead. What does that entail? I don't know. You know, so it's kind of like, <laughs> the blind leading the blind. Um, and then 18 months later, we had a licensed child care center in our high school. So we started out with five babies. Now we're down to three. But the three that are here are consistently here. The parents are here. They're going to class. The babies are coming in. And the child care center is different than a daycare. Our child care center has lesson plans. So for early childhood, which I did not know this, um, they have lesson plans and they, they work on their motor skills and their development. And because it's a licensed child care center, they have these activities that they have to do with them. For me, I just thought we have an empty classroom. Let's just throw some toys in there and then have somebody watch them. Like, I mean, right, that would be easy. And that's not what it is at all. <laughs> so it was very eye-opening to me. And I I feel kind of silly when I tell people that, you know, like my ignorance, I did not know all of this. I'm not an early childhood major. I don't know anything about that. Um, and so I've been learning along the way, but I'm grateful to be learning about it and, and to have that support for the parents. And they, the moms, I have moms and I have a dad 
but the moms that are here right now, they're so excited when their babies come home with their activities. They made a painting project. They made manipulatives. They're taking pictures of them and little turkey hats and stuff like that. So it's the excitement of learning that we're not only passing on to the parents, but to the babies as well. And that's kind of like bringing them into the classroom, similar to what teacher kids, they're in the classroom as well. That was such incredible initiative that you took to create this, having had some of your own life experience to this. But in some ways, when you say 18 months later, it makes it sound like things just fell into place. But what a long and extraordinary learning experience for you to know all of what's involved in creating this as a support um, but the work that that goes into making something like this happen as as you're learning more about it, it's really, really admirable. And I also appreciated hearing about how when a group of people in a school community can get together and think about what one of the issues are and then looking at data in a way that's not just numbers, two or three people, but then having the time to identify who might these two or three people be. In this case, you were able to identify them as teen parents and to really be specific in what kind of barriers could be removed or what kind of supports could be put in place to help these students stay. And so really focusing on the human part of what some of those numbers represented. I'm wondering if you could uh, share any last thing about what you've learned in terms of developing supports for students and families that teachers who are in communities with other needs for their students, what might we take away um, for our own skill set as we learn to support students in our own contexts? I think one thing that I that I can take away from this experience is to not give up. Like there's been obstacle after obstacle that I've run into and just red tape and it's not from my administration or my school, it's from other outside entities that I have no control over. And, and sometimes I just wanna be like, well, never mind. then I don't wanna do it. That was not an option. I could not say, never mind. I don't wanna do it because not only was it going to affect the school but it affects these lives, the lives of these teen parents, the lives of these babies, uh, you know, and, and education is important to me. And if I can get the get these people, these children, the little, little ones excited about learning, then that's just going to help them when they get into school and help them foster that love for education. And that's what I want. And so for me, I mean, there were days that I was like, is, is this person serious? Like I, I have to do this. And with construction, there's all these rules and regulations. And I'm like, how am I going to put another emergency door in a classroom where there's no door, you know, and, and there's a, a wall there and, and you can't cut into that wall. So it was, it was a lot of different things that came up, but I was like, we, we can't like, let me figure this out. Let me ask a question. And so that's all I did was ask tons of questions. Could this be, could it happen? Could we do this? And, and eventually the answer was yes. 
It makes me think that in this conversation um, that so many of us are having nationally about what does social emotional learning look like when it's really manifesting itself in people who are living our everyday lives and those kind of experiences where we are faced with really challenging situations. We know what our goals are. We know what we want. And yet the day to day is throwing balls out of left field that we're having to catch and that being able to, as, as a teacher and as someone wanting so deeply to support your students that you were using these social emotional skills and developing them. Um, and I know that that's something that's really important for you uh, in terms of the students who you're teaching and the lives that they are leading and will lead in the future. Um, and as you mentioned with your son, that, that the mental health of our students, especially now, is so important. And mm -hmm. so in addition to the work that you've done to support teen parents, I also know that you have been a coach for a variety of different sports. <laughs> and in like our holistic vision of what education is and the opportunities that young people can have to learn in so many different contexts and find what's meaningful for them and to help them with their social emotional health. I'm wondering if uh, in your coaching, as it's kind of coalesced with other parts of your teaching career, do you think that there might be a connection between access to sports and the overall health of members in a school community? I'm, I'm sure there's a connection to being healthy and active um, and mental health, I, I know that's for a fact, but I don't know about sports and coaching. Our students, we work really hard with them on positive mindset. That was one of our things that we worked on as a whole staff prior to the pandemic. So I wanna say 2019, 20, 2018, 2019, we read uh, Carol Dweck's Growth Mindset book as a staff. And then how can we implement that into our teaching? And so we work really hard on that and we've been trying to bring that back to students, but I don't know, I've never really put a connection together with the sports. I was a terrible coach by the way. So like if you ever talk to any of my former athletes, um, we laugh about the things that I did. I was a high school, I was a middle school basketball coach and I knew nothing about basketball and my team was winning the first game they were winning like 35 to zero and and what do you tell these seventh graders i don't know and i and i'm like okay jill you're doing good out there but what else could you improve on because i don't know names i don't know you know positions i don't know anything and Jill's like, well, I wasn't really looking to the left side. I could pass to the left more. I'm like, that's right. Good job, Jill. What else? What else can we do? And they're like, well, you know, I'm not passing or I could be doing layups better. And I'm like, that's right, Amy. Excellent. Good job. So I had no idea what I was doing with coaching. So I don't know if I could bring my coaching experience in to basketball or my soccer experience. I did play soccer. I knew the positions there. I knew that sport, um, but still I, I needed to understand the skill level of the players that I had, as opposed to the skill level that I thought I was coaching, like MLS coaching. I don't know what I was thinking, but as a new coach, it's seeing all these things and cringing at my experience as a coach. And, I'm, and then as a teacher, 
and then hoping that I've kind of redeemed myself in the last 15 years to take it back, take a step back, ask these questions, listen to the students a little more. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if I, if I could make that connection with sports and teaching right now. It sounds like we could definitely take a growth mindset away from this, that if you like as a new teacher are asked, well, can you, can you coach this? I'm going to give it a try and taking, yeah. taking what you know about um, just using what you know and using what others know and having a growth mindset and taking it from there. Yeah, exactly. So my family just laughs at that. And so that year, the team that I taught uh, or that team that I coached went undefeated. And then that same year, the soccer team that I coached went to state. So they were making fun of me. Like I was the best coach in New Mexico because my soccer team made it to state. I had an undefeated season and the whole time I was clueless about everything. I don't know. Per perhaps there, there might be um, more to that story than you're giving yourself credit for. It really does sound like it was a powerful thing for you to be uh, giving your own uh, team the agency to see what they felt like they needed to do. Um, <laughs> I know as also a, a teacher at a charter school where um, access to physical activity has always been in some ways uh, a challenge for us to have funding for a physical education teacher, for us to have an actual facility that could accommodate places for sports and to do all of the things that are involved in offering these opportunities for kids. And I have seen in the last couple of years as, we, as we've been able to expand that it, it's a positive uh, mm -hmm. element in our school to have access to, to sports and to some more organized physical activity. And in thinking about how some of our students didn't have as much access to that in the past as they do now, um, I'm wondering if, you, if you've seen in your experience at the schools that you've been at, if, if there are ways in which access to physical activity um, that might be, might be facilitated for students and teachers who, who might not be able to participate in that. We have limited access here at our school. We do have a PE teacher um, and he's one that works part-time. So he works in the public schools during the day. And then in the afternoon, he comes and teaches health. And then he teaches our, our adult PE class at 5.30. And just by chance, we were able to have a summer PE and the students were able to earn their PE credit, but they had a, a actual, they had to do actual work activities and stuff. And during that time, uh, Planet Fitness was offering free weightlifting to kids 15 to 18. And we called and we asked if we could take a class over there. And they said, yeah, sure, the kids just have to get an ID and then you can bring them in and they can lift weights. So the PE teacher and I, we planned it. We planned that whole six week course, like Monday and Wednesday, they were gonna go lift weights at Planet Fitness, but we, we don't have buses. So they had to walk and I walked from the school to Planet Fitness to see how far it was. It was a mile. And I thought if I can walk a mile, these young kids can walk a mile. And they did, they enjoyed it. Their families picked them up at the, at the gym afterwards because our classes were like three hours long. So you can definitely spend three hours at a gym. We planned uh, swimming activities. So we looked at the bus, the public, the public uh, transportation they got on the bus, they went to the public pool, they swam certain days out of the week. 
And so just getting out of the school itself and having access to these things, it was so much fun. And then the next year, they were, this was like right before the pandemic in 2019, the kids were asking, so are we going to have PE again? Are we going to, I'm going to take summer PE because I know we can go to the pool. I know we can go weightlifting. And so we're trying to, to see how it, how it can work again. And we were, I am modeling off what I know from the public schools. I know the public schools have summer PE and they do those types of things. And so it was just something different. So we try to do different things here at the school with them. And the PE teacher was like, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's do it. And, and I'm like, could I help you? You know, um, just, I just want things to be different for the kids. So that way they can, you know, be introduced to what a gym is, the gym etiquette of wiping down equipment and, you know, not staring at people while they're lifting weights and stuff. And so that was a good experience. And, and the kids were there every day to earn their credit. That is one of the most creative ideas that I have heard so far. And I have found that especially in being a charter school, we're a public school, but the amount of resources that we have as such tiny districts unto ourselves, that creativity is key. Thank you so much for sharing this time and this space with me and with our listeners. I love hearing about what other teachers are doing, what their school communities are like. And it's been a real pleasure to hear all that you've been able to share with us about you and your story and the school where you work. So thank you so much, Loren, for this time. Well, thank you, Elisa. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Loren Guerrero, the 2022 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. And thank you to the New Mexico Public Education Department and Namoga for its sponsorship. May your inspiration be infinite and your coffee still warm. Thanks for listening.